This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Steen Rasmussen, who is the founder of IIH Nordic. So Steen, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carl. It, I've been looking forward to this. I've been seeing and following your podcast for a while, so I think it, it was about time I got my time to shine with you. <laughs> well, um, look, appreciate the the kind words. Um, so I, I guess following the podcast, you'll know where we always start is we ask our guests to give the audience a bit of, uh, I guess, a, a background of themselves and their journey to date, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, so kind of touching on a nerve because I, I will see if I can do it short, right? <laughs> so uh, originally I have a, a degree in uh, corporate communications from uh, yeah University of Roskilde in, in, in Denmark. And when I started working, I actually st- moved into digital fairly early, uh, but still in 99. Uh, but I started as a copywriter. Uh, online copywriter specializing in that. And I moved into being the head of usability for the agent where I was working. And I was fine, except I was really frustrated because I found it horrible that somebody was the ambassador for the users when nobody was the ambassador for the business. So that really sparked a lot of discussion back then. And then that kind of forced my hand into starting an agency of my own that focused on how do you measure the business value of a website? And that's really a, a, a simple introduction saying, this is where you're gonna be needing data, right? So, so once you have the question saying, how do you measure the business value? Well, saying, what is the objective? And suddenly, lo and behold, you, you can unwrap a bundle of data to, to start diving into this. Now, this was back in 2001, so it wasn't like the obvious choice. I think the only good thing you can say about starting a business back in, in back in those days, this was when the bubble burst for the first time. Uh, well, there was cheap, cheap office space, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 but, but we still went at it, and um, I think it, it was an interesting journey because we started at a time where, where going into to working with with online, seeing how conversion rate was something that actually appeared in those days like oh wow what an interesting concept like yeah. <laughs> these days we take it for granted but actually i started working with this pre-conversion rate days yeah. that's a long time ago man no mm-hmm. okay but that has basically been the, the the foundation that we've been building on from there saying how can you take data how can you use it in a business context to create more value because that's kind of my 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 pet peeve in saying God and his uncle can help you gather data, but what are you going to do with it once you have it? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, yeah, uh, my philosophy right now. And it, it it's also part of, of, of IH. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a, 
it's such a prevalent topic at the moment and i feel like we've been talking about this for a for a very long time but i've been involved in a whole host of discussions on linkedin over the last few days recently where this has all kind of come to light and we're talking about you know trying to get under the skin of why organizations are actually doing this and bring the mm-hmm. focus back to the fact that you know data is is an asset to the business and if we're not driving value out of the other side of it then why are we doing it and what's the point, right? You know, so um, very, very timely. So I guess tell us a little bit more about the business. So it's been around 20 years, I guess, in terms of scale of it, who, you know, types of businesses you work with, what you guys do primarily. So so let's call us a data activation agency. Uh, So so we've been uh, having a lot of uh, different stories that we've been telling, but at the core of it, uh, unlike most of our peers in the industry, we actually started with data, right? So, so when um, so when we founded IIT, it was the idea of saying that was there was too much data out there that wasn't be, being utilized enough. Mm-hmm. At that point, it was only secondary web data because the web data available at that point that was a web trends report, and that was actually something where I remember having clients where you would come by in the afternoon and press print. And then you would come back the next morning, and your uh, your stack of a report would would would, would be there <laughs> on the floor. So you had to set a leaf to it, and damn you if the, you had made the settings wrong, right? Because that was just okay. Then yeah, I'll be back at five to press print again and yeah. watch another small forest die. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 that was kind of where we started. So so having this approach to data and and actually uh, going there, and then. The, the first uh, thing we started working with was actually uh, using this data for conversion rate optimization. And it, it wasn't really working back in those days because people, you would go into people and say, yeah, so you have all this traffic coming to your website and that's fine. And But if you want more value out of your traffic, you should actually optimize the site. And people were like, oh, traffic. Yeah, yeah, I want more traffic. No, no, I said, get more out of your traffic. Yeah, more traffic. Like, <laughs> so, so we actually... <laughs> So we moved into traffic and, and started uh, trying to do something which was really interesting back in those days. We, we actually uh, started selling quality traffic because when, when, when we went into the market, the normal way of buying AdWords was actually by a fixed price. So you, you as an agency would call the customer and say, yeah, I can get you visitors at a pound a visitor. And they would be like, yeah, sounds fair. And you didn't know what you were buying. It was basically you just you were being measured on how many clicks came to your site. But the problem was that that if all the good visitors actually came and they were costing two pounds, well, you certainly wouldn't buy them. But if the real crappy visitors costed uh, five pence, and then you would buy some of those because hey, then you had a ninety-five pence profit margin. Yeah. And and the, and the customers on the other side were only looking at how many visitors they got, and they were like, "Ooh, this is amazing." But they were basically buying uh, uh, crap by the bulk, right? Yeah. But nobody knew any better, and it was like it seemed like the obvious model coming from a, a way where you used to pay for exposure. So when we started going to the customers, talking about, yeah, listen, we will get you a tenth of the traffic that you're normally buying, but it will cost you three times as much for, to get a visitor. <laughs> it sounded like a bum deal in the beginning, right? So, so, uh, but I think that that was kind of a people got it and it started changing the market. It, it, not, we can't claim uh, the honor for it, but it was kind of having this this commercial approach to to marketing from the beginning. 
And now we moved into SAO as well. So still supporting these things today, but but with this commercial focus. Yeah. Today, it's just turned very much into, I think we're around 50 people here now, right? And then with the data and analytics and data activation part of the business being the, the largest department. Yeah. So, so actually sitting there doing, yeah, basically taking it through the different levels of from data gathering to data refinement to... Uh, to analysis, to activation. And that's kind of where, where we are right now, uh, really exploring this activation part. Yeah. There's also right now, and this is kind of a global thing or a, a European thing going on about compliance. Really, the, that is the, the, the big one for 2021, saying, are we compliant GDPR-wise and do we, uh, do we have consent and all this in relation to, to tracking? And how do we adapt to other people blocking our tracking? So, so it, it's it's interesting days trying to adapt to that. So, so that is the business, right? We have 50 people based out of Copenhagen, but basically handling international customers. I think the one thing that COVID has taught everybody is that geography is not a, a limitation. It's basically just where you sit and work. Yep. Uh, so so that, that has been uh, helpful. And we have been covering, yeah, we have clients pretty much all over the world, but nice. mainly like uh, bigger uh, brands. Yeah, they need to be uh, data-wise ambitious or digitally ambitious, right? That makes sense. And I guess before we jump into the, the bulk of the topic, which obviously is around you know turning data into action and, and that whole activation piece, which obviously you guys have positioned yourself as uh, as kind of you know the, a specialist in, if, if you will. Obviously, you do a lot of kind of keynote speaking and lectures and you know stuff like that around the world. I think you're uh, in the analytics community in. in Denmark and Scandinavia, you're probably seen as a bit of a uh, a bit of a celebrity, Steen, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> give us a bit of information about that. Like how did that all unravel? What what type of stuff have you been doing? Yeah, so so basically, uh, I think uh, part of our DNA at the uh, at the company has always been like this ambition to share, and, and basically, it grew out of uh, well. If I go back, I was like uh, my my first story about doing a presentation is really is. is sad because I went in the beginning I was walking around telling telling people this was around what 2000 something I couldn't sell a cap for a man that was cold around his ears so 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 one of my good colleagues said well like yeah some people are coming by the office this was uh, uh, can you tell them a bit about what we're doing and sounds like a, a, a no challenge right so I said yeah and it was in a couple of months so I was like okay cool no worries uh, and it got closer and closer and like three days before I was like hey man tell me a bit about this on on, on Tuesday what is it I'm supposed to be doing and he was like oh yeah yeah it's a group of uh, nine graders with motivational issues that's coming in and you have to entertain them for 45 minutes I was like <laughs> okay uh, that was not the package I thought I bought right so so so, so really <laughs> Going into this audience, I, I was like, I, I had a long evening thinking about how was I going to angle this because uh, the, like having a first presentation and then for a trick audience. So I, I, I really focused on what, what the one thing that, that I felt that, that I could, that they could relate to that I could talk about. So I used uh, popular advertising as the core example. So I keep referring to, to ads. It's like, and yeah, have you seen this ad where this 
So, and this turned out to be really efficient because they could relate to the ads and that, and that, so they were, I got the message afterwards that they were really happy and had been really inspired. So it's like, whew. and that was kind of my New York, New York moment, right? If you can make it there, you'll make it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, so, <laughs> so I decided apparently that I had a story to tell. So, so, so building from there, I started building Web Analytics Wednesday in, in, in Denmark, uh, which kind of, uh, just to kind of evangelize the good message, getting the story out about all the awesome stuff that, that data analysis can do. And turned in from the first event was something I snuck in at the evening during, uh, what was it, uh, Omniture Summit or something in, in Copenhagen. So in the evening, uh, I, I had uh, borrowed, a, got a sponsor to get me a, room, a meeting room at the hotel. And there was like, I don't know, 30 people who had nothing to do, who were attending the conference in the daytime, and they came. And then over the years, it turned into now we're around, well, pre-COVID, we were around 200, right? So so, um, so pretty decent evangelization going on. So, so And that just helped me get out there. So I've been uh, talking about digital marketing in Silicon Valley. I feel that's probably the finest stamp of approval any nerd can get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at the other end of the scale, I've been to Mumbai doing doing sessions on on on, on digital analytics as well. So so that's kind of co- covering the spectrum, right? So yeah. um, I think, but it, it it is part of the story, just getting out there and and saying why this is so damn amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a big. I think that's something that the the data and analytics community shares, right? It's a very you get a very global feel from it and people are happy from all over the world to come together and connect and talk about this stuff which um, you know is part and parcel that you know we started the podcast here really you know is that the whole concept of giving back and allowing people to hear from people like yourself on a much you know uh, wider scale you know uh, yeah. it's great that you can do it in front of 200 people in a room in in Mumbai but obviously you know if you can do it to the entire world over the internet then that's that's great right so yeah exactly um so the whole piece around data activation then and turning data into action, as I touched upon earlier, you know, the purpose of any organization that uses data analytics is to add value, right, in a commercial mm. sense. So whether you're talking about increasing revenues and profits, you're reducing costs, um, improving efficiencies, mitigating risks, whatever the case may be, for that value to actually be realized, there needs to be some action that comes off the back of that data and analysis Mm -hmm. right so um i guess let's frame this when you talk about you know you talk to your clients about data activation and the the action part of of what needs to be done what what do you mean by that yes so so i think um it's basically breaking with a part of the mantra saying that that for a long time right that the final output of of data has been a dashboard and then somebody is supposed to look at that dashboard and make a decision and do something clever. But very often the dashboard isn't really facilitating action. It's just presenting data in a, f- a fancy way. So, 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 so the idea is actually going in and saying, what is this data? What is it that data can actually do? So what is it we can do to, to, to activate data? So, so one of our most famous cases right now is going in and, and basically tying the data to, um, a marketing engine. So, so for we did a project for a client where we did um, a conversion prediction. 
So going in and looking at the way the users behaved on the site, people were basically based, uh, they got a score on likelihood to convert. So this was a com com combination of their data and their CRM data and uh, their analytics data being poured into BigQuery, uh, being chopped up with machine learning and thought through. And then, then basically going in and doing this prediction. And then automatically people would actually be put into groups saying, okay, Carl, I'm really sorry, but you, you, your behavior on this side is like somebody who's never going to buy. So we're not going to be spending boatloads of money trying to get you to come back because you, you're, you're just not that into us. So, so we'll save our money from you and we'll, uh, in the other end, it's like, well, Stan, you, you have a behavior of somebody who's already bought. So we're not going to give you massive discounts. You you want this product, you just don't know it yet. So we'll we're not going to give you the big abandoned cart uh, discount. We're not going to be giving you uh, uh, a win you back campaigns because we know you're in the market. So we'll just try to keep you there. And then we focus the budget on the people in between that are likely to convert but not certain, going from top down, right? Yeah. So so and I think. This is where I talk about activation data. This is something that would be impossible to do manually. It's where data play a, plays a central role and there's a direct correlation between the data activities and the bottom line. So, so the better you can do this, the, 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 the more money in the bank for, for, for the client. And I think that this is for me the, the core idea of activating data. It's saying, there's no reason there need to be a middleman here to, to sit and do a report and make decisions, uh, right? This is also to do with, with the changing role of the web analyst as we look into the future, saying, what, is, what, is, what are we supposed to be doing as analysts? What is our role? And our role is like, so, so why did anybody hire me? Why did anybody hire anybody that's anywhere? Well, it's to, to get a return. Uh, so, so, I prove they prefer to hire me because they think I will get them a better return on their investment. And that goes for all positions, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So, so, and the same for web analyst, but sometimes I think uh, people just forget that's, that's what they uh, need to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And again, I'm, I'm in an awful lot of discussion and debate on LinkedIn about this stuff. Um, and I think, you know, at the leadership level, Steen, and obviously, you know, like yourself, who's been there and done it and been in the industry many years, and now, you know, you own your own business doing this, of course, that makes sense to you, right? And other data and analytics leaders around the world, their, their job isn't to do the doing anymore. It's to make sure that that bottom line is impacted in a positive manner mm -hmm. by the work that their teams are doing. But I do feel that people at the, you know, the, the, the doing level they still get blindsided by the actual doing of the work um, yeah. too much and, and they're not they they need to tweak that mindset to be more commercially focused around thinking about why am i doing this uh, and often mm. you know, be able to tie it back to that data activation piece in order to make sure that the business makes money or saves money effectively mm. um yeah, I, 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 I so agree. I have this uh, saying, I, I think uh, with all the data set, with all the data we have, I think uh, if you see the company as an elephant, uh, this is all the data that is, that is the entire sum, that's the elephant. And sometime in analytics, we, we, we either, we, we go and do reporting as an alibi, 
I said, kind of saying, yeah, I, I sent you the report. I, I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm going to push you some numbers. Or we go really deep into an analysis of the ant on the ass of the elephant. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, it's not really helping the big picture, but you have really, it's the one place on the in the entire stack where you know your data in and out and you know you can trust it. So you really deep dive into this tiny little set of data that doesn't really move the elephant anywhere, but it's good data. And it's like, oh, wow, it's, what a lovely report. It's like, yeah, it also it took me a long time to do. Okay, good. Now go do something worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I, again, I have this conversation seemingly on a daily basis um, at, at the moment, you know, and I think there's, there's a lot of people out there that are able to go and create, you know, great looking dashboards and build fantastic models and so on and so forth. But ultimately if, if they can't tie that back to the business and what that, what the impact and value is for, for them doing that, then ultimately mm. it's useless. Right. Yeah. Which I guess kind of leads us on to the piece around ROI and um, I guess, you know, something we talk about that often, it's almost become its own little buzzword within our industry, right? Mm. Um, how to to put a tangible figure on the work that we do within our industry. Um, I guess in terms of your approach to that, you know, because I think there's, there's conversations around now, isn't there, around the segregation of data so the cost of having that data where it's stored the technology that you have to buy the people the size of that teams having that infrastructure i guess everything it, it costs to get you to a point where you can do some analytics and mm. then at what point after you've paid for that does that cost become written off you know so if you do one project and whatever that roi is on that project um, you know, project number two, are you still counting the cost of the data and the infrastructure? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really difficult for organizations that are trying to use data to drive decisions to ultimately, you know, activate data to, 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 to make decisions and, and create value. I think it's often very difficult to put a tangible number on that because there's a lot of different variables and nuances. So I guess in your perspective, when you're working with clients and you're talking about the whole data activation piece in order for them to impact the bottom line, how do you identify, I guess, you know, the costs, the cost differentiation and how that plays into to the ROI? Yeah. So, so I think the, the, the cost side is probably the easiest thing, right? Because then you would measure the, 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 the related infrastructure. But very often you, uh, you, you have a tendency to, to stop the cost at when you finish the report, saying this was the uh, – but in reality, the report or recommendation doesn't do anything. Then you actually have to do the investment to do the change as well. So – that is actually also part of the cost structure. So not until you've done the, 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 the prep and the setup and the recommendations and implemented that, uh, and then start looking at what return is there. Now that, that makes the, the, the cost structure at the beginning really expensive. But what we have a tendency to do the other way around is actually forget about that a lot of this value that comes is continuous. Right. So if you come with it to a customer and you can change them something saying, yeah, I've increased your customer lifetime value with 10%, but then that's 10% from now and forward. So it's not just the 10% here and now. So, so in that way, the return of analytics is, can easily go in and actually be exponentially potentially if you start uh, continue investing in it. 
because you keep adding value to it. So, so it, it's, I'm a, a horrible consultant because I have a tendency to complicate things. But I think this is, this is a, one of the things where I think I see we, we underestimate the impact of the value we have because it's not a one-time change. It's not you go in and you do something and it's, yeah, we saved 50 pounds. Yeah, we saved 50 pounds every day for a long time. So, so having that extenuation is actually uh, uh, worth looking at. And also why we, we actually were being nuisances in the sense that we like to talk about the cost of an action. So, so using that as a parameter to drive uh, activation, because in many cases, we will actually be able to do a, a, a recommendation that way where we have a pretty good business case about what it's worth. So, I mean, and you probably done these as well, right? And then the customer sits with it for six months or 12 months and never do anything. And in reality, they put it in our dashboard saying, every day you're not doing this, this is costing you this. Yeah. Because people are not, we're really bad at making dashboards for missed opportunities. Right? But in reality, it's all these recommendations. If you stack this into a dashboard, people would be crying like babies when they saw how much money they're not picking up. Yeah. Right. So, 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 and I think that this is, this is the value that we, that, that we can actually deliver, right. That, that we tend to forget that this is such a massive impact uh, to be had there. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's one of those things, obviously it is difficult. And, and I think that a lot of, you know, this for me, this just plays back into the whole being able to communicate and tell stories and, and influence, right? Because ultimately, yes, if a, if an exec gets a, a great looking dashboard, which says in your example, we're going to save fifty pound. Well, the cost of doing that for the sake of fifty pound, what's, mm. what's the point, right? Whereas, if you're able to articulate that, you no, know, this is fifty pound a day for the forever, you know, providing yeah, so, it stays at the same, then then it makes yeah, it so, worth doing, right? Yeah. So next time he comes in and looks at the dashboard three weeks later, it says uh, yeah, yeah, a thousand pounds. We could have earned a thousand pounds. It's like okay. Yep. Then, then it might get his attention. And one month later, when it says, well, now it's a hundred thousand pounds. It's like, okay, so maybe I should have done something yeah. because this <laughs> is, yeah. and then suddenly it becomes much more tangible instead of saying, yeah, they want to update the landing page. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. sounds boring. It's like, <laughs> what, what's the value, right? Yeah. And I think that the challenge that we, we have as in, in analytics is that we don't have the same uh, history of numbers that other departments. So, so, I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine and he, he of all sexy things, he optimized uh, yeah, packaging for a tobacco company. And every time he could reduce, I think it was half a gram of the package in weight. That would mean a million pounds on the bottom line. Okay, that's damn tangible. That, that's really, and, and that was, that was uh, yeah, every year. Right. So, so having other uh, parts of the organization that actually has data that actually ties this well into, to to the finance department, and goes directly to the CEO's table, instead of us coming saying yeah, and and we're also a bit cowards because we're not certain of the outcome. So it's like, yeah, boss. Listen, if you invest this, you might get this. Right. So, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So you're saying either I should invest this with your department or I could invest it with the guy optimizing the packages and get a damn certain 
return. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'll go for the risk averse solution and go for the packaging because I'm not really that into gambling with corporate money. Yeah, makes makes uh, makes sense. So I guess something that I've seen you be quite vocal about and you spoke about it there, Steen, a moment ago was, you know, an example around customer lifetime value. Mm. Um, and and I guess, you know, there's evident relationship there between, you know, return on investment, right? And, and the investment put into that customer. Mm. How do you kind of tie all that together? Yeah, so, so what, I think it's... Uh, so f- first off, I think it's interesting because we, this is one of the big KPIs right now. This is the a lot of the analytics is changing into customer lifetime value because the cost of marketing is now reaching a level where you can't, won't get a return on a one visit, a one night stand. That would yep. be uh, <laughs> a negative. So you actually have to take care of the customers and try to make them come back to 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 earning a a, a longer uh, profit. But I think it's very much tying into the margins of things. So we focus a lot on uh, uh, not necessarily just customer lifetime value, but customer lifetime margins, because every customer is 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 both a, an, an earning and a, a and a cost. Uh, so so so, can we make sure that we focus on optimizing for for profit and not just for turnover? Because we're seeing kind of the, when I go back and look at the the models that are in the market right now, most of them focus on. Yeah, it's really amazing. We've done uh, this customer has a, a massive turnover, and it's like, yeah, but he's only buying small things rarely, and you're giving him free shipping every time. So basically, he's costing you ten pounds every time he buys something. <laughs> you would make more money to just go to his house and give him eight pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so having this, the, the, this, this is kind of the the challenge of the market because it's been so growth centric in relations to turnover. And not in relation to profit, because it's everybody's been hunting for the next massive unicorn, and that's just saying, yeah, we have to throw boatloads of money at this one because one day it it'll make it make us all rich. And in some cases it will, and in a lot of cases it won't because it well it it wasn't sustainable in the, in the big picture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we kind of have this old conservative business approach saying, if you're a business, you're about making a profit. So how can you make a profit? And even if you're on a growth journey, you don't have to throw money away. Don't be stupid with your money because at the end of the day, money you throw away is money you can't use wisely. So it means that we, yeah, we try to be reasonable with the, the with the client's money and, and and focus on 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 the margin and the return of it. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting approach because uh, it's also because we we do not come from the marketing side; we come from the business and data side first. So sometimes not going in and looking at at uh, some of these uh, return on ad spend, a horrible uh, number from Google Analytics that is basically saying, yeah, how much turnover did this uh, did did our ad spend generate, right? And what does it say? It doesn't really say anything because did we make money or didn't we make money? Mm-hmm. I actually help companies also going in and and. And, and I don't know any other companies in the Nordics. You might know somebody outside uh, who actually goes in and do uh, end-to-end uh, e-commerce uh, logistics, supply chain, measuring what, what, what is the cost of bringing a package through the system. And, and this is a, a, so, so because companies like us that helps you support your marketing side and use your data to, to 
uh, to uh, generate things. Basically, we're... <laughs> Yeah, I guess you can quote me on that since you have me on tape in a second, right? <laughs> but basically, we're not we're not delivering what we promised because there's been a tendency in saying that we give you a better bottom line, right? So you, but we don't. Uh, they, what we do is we give you a better top line because the only one that can give you a better bottom line is yourself mm-hmm. because we we can only look at what you spend and what you what what you sell. How much did it cost you to move that package inside the system? That's on you. That's not something we normally don't uh, mess with, right? We don't know that number. And, and basically, we can set up campaigns that will look amazing, that will sell you straight to hell, straight to bankruptcy in no time, right? Because if your cost structure in running the business is yeah so so the, the best example is saying so so one of the KPIs is um, how much does it cost to to get a package through the system? What's the end to end from the time you spend negotiating with your uh, with your contractors to getting the package in, putting it in a warehouse, uh, having staff going around pulling it down from the shelf, packaging, sending it out. The customer gets it. Some of it will come back. You put it back on the shelf. Send it out again. And one point you sold it. So that is a KPI that most e-commerce companies do not have. How much does it cost? Because if you send any package with a margin lower than that number, you just lost money. Right? So, so you basically, so, so you, then you can talk about, yeah, so, yeah, but I'm building a relationship with people and stuff. And you can have a lot of, it's branding and a lot of fancy excuses. But as a merchant, you just gave something at a lower cost than you paid for it. And I think that that's really a good number to dive into because that is that is the business. So it might be digital, it might be physical. If you're selling your product at a lower price than it costs you, then you need a damn fine excuse. Yeah. I mean, what always fascinates me, Steen, about when, when I have these conversations, and I guess you know, what what we're talking about here, it's not rocket science, right? You're talking about a business that's, you know, let's just say they sell a product, right? And effectively what we're saying is you need to calculate what it, what it costs you to make that product, get that product sold to where it needs to be that full end to end life cycle. And what's the cost Mm. versus what have you sold it for and what's the margin in between now that, you know, in any walk of life is, is business, right? But yet, Many businesses aren't doing this, so wh- why why is that the case? Because it seems, you know, and I, and I know this happens all the time, but I'm just keen to hear your thoughts as to, you know, why businesses aren't kind of monitoring and kind of looking at the metrics in this way. Is it a vanity thing, or is it is it something well, else? Yeah, so so, but like I said, there's there's been this tendency in the market, and this might be saying that probably plenty of fine companies out there that do this perfectly that I've haven't heard of, right? But but um, but I think part of it has been that you've been competing on top line. So 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 when when you hear about a company being a success, yeah, it's because their revenue has yeah over year on year growth of revenue and like. It's not grow year and year. You don't hear anybody talking about year and year growth of margin or profit or bottom line, right? It, it's, yeah, you want to have the biggest turnover in the world. Yeah. Uh, but, but that doesn't necessarily make you a success. And I think it's, it's probably one of the things that, that has 
that if you go back to the Amazon story, right? In the first 10 years of Amazon's history, everybody was after Amazon before because, well, 15 years, because they weren't making a profit. They, they were in the minors, but at the end of the day, it was because they in, reinvested everything in a growth engine further down the line. And then it's okay because then it's actually a calculated deficit, right? But, but for, for, for the rest of us, uh, it, it's a situation where you just go for the turnover because it makes sense and you like, if I sell more, I will earn more. But that is a, that is a, a, a really a fallacy in the sense that it's not true. If you sell more, you will not necessarily earn more. But there is this, uh, as humans, we have like a tendency to, to correlate things. So, 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 and, and yeah. And and there might be uh yeah was it might be uh, correlated but but there's no uh, connection otherwise right they're moving in the same direction but it might not be yeah that makes sense I guess in terms of time scales you know if you're going sitting in front of an organisation you're talking to them about this stuff in terms of how you turn their data into action you know activate that data you're talking about ROI you're talking about the margin of that customer lifetime mm. life cycle realistically what are the feasible kind of expectations for organizations what should you know what type of time scale should they be thinking about before they see real value generated out of the other side of these kind of activities yeah, yeah. so for for us and i think it depends on so so the type of projects we do we we prefer well we kind of have a rule of thumb in house saying that you cannot sell a customer a project that is longer than six months so they need to see something start coming in in six months, or we need to rescope the the project. So so that's a, it's just saying that the problem with with longer projects, especially in our space, is that things change. There's so many factors out there that will impact us, right? So so if you want to be sure that you get value out of something, you need to get value out of it now. So so. Um, I saw yesterday, and there's kind of just I can't remember what it's called, but uh, you know the, the 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 difference between the shortest path uh, between a point and the fastest path between mm-hmm. two points. That the shortest path is a straight line, but the fastest path is actually a curve. Uh, and the curve is because it picks up. Uh, so a, this is a, like a scientific experiment where you put balls on on uh, on a on a board, and and the the curve going down that is actually longer is faster because you pick up trajectory in the beginning and then you start earning more. Yeah. And I think that's the concept that we like to bring to, to, to the equation saying linear is fine, but it's better to, 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 to move faster uh, and then keep, keep focus on this. Damn me if I can remember what the name is, but it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So realistically six months uh, organization should really be able to put some kind of figure and metrics around this and the, the value that they're getting out of the other side. Okay. Yeah, they should, they should actually be able to know what metrics they're aiming for to begin with, right? So, so actually going in and, and I see this as, as part of the change in the industry saying that we, uh, data is being gathered now more, more tactically because we know we want to achieve something else, right? So, so you go in and you have an objective uh, one of my, my you, uh, one of the things I hate is this concept of data being oil, <laughs> uh, right? Because it, it 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 is and it isn't oil because it doesn't uh, it doesn't keep value. So data loses value really fast. So so you need to activate the data faster. So 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 having this approach saying 
we need to know what we're going to use this oil for. Because in a week, a month, a year, it's worthless. So, so it's yeah, like, like the, I've been quoted for saying it's more like meat. It spoils. You can't keep it forever. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. No, that makes um, that makes sense. I, I guess you touched before on the cost associated with doing nothing. So you know, mm. in, in action, effectively. Um, I guess that alongside the whole piece around the KPIs and the metrics you talked about. And you said there that, you know, businesses should really understand what metrics they're working towards. How, how many of them in your opinion actually get that right? You know, do you, I guess the question is, do you find that you're going and having these conversations, they're telling you what they think they want and you're kind of saying, no, you, you shouldn't be looking at that. You should be looking at, at this. And then does that yeah. tie into the inaction piece? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what we're doing now, some of the interesting projects we're getting is it's basically going in and so, so we, we're just doing finishing one now and having another one starting up where we actually go in for a client that is building a new website. And 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 in, instead of them going in and talking to designers and, and different stuff first, we actually made a KPI workshop first saying, what are you trying to achieve with this website? So, so as part of the briefing for the agency building the site, they actually got the the the, the list of saying this is what we're going to be measuring you on. At the end of the day, this is what we are trying to achieve with this website, and it's actually easy if you do it at that point, because then you're not affected what is already there. Because otherwise, we're kind of working. Uh, we try to bend analytics to match the design and saying how can we achieve something with this thing we got. Instead of going in and saying, "What are we trying to achieve?" and I see this as a as a maturity change in the in, in the marketplace, people understand that. Well, if you want to hit the goal, you need to know what you're aiming for, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise, you can just build a lot of fancy goals. But it 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 is saying, "What is the, the 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 playing field that that we're operating on, and what is the ambition with this?" Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes sense. And and I guess, again, so relatable to a lot of conversations that I seem to be having, you know, just in the whole mm. analytics world in general, really, you know, that a lot of businesses want to get involved and want to start be, be being seen to be doing this stuff. But actually, there's not an awful lot of strategy behind what they're hoping to achieve by doing it, you know, other than being seen to be doing it, if that, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah. I guess in terms of the inaction piece, because obviously you spoke about there, it'd be great if you could make dashboards that showed executives mm-hmm. how much it's costing them if you're not doing that. How much of your conversations are based around what those costs of inactions are? You know, um, uh, and I guess, do you feel that that you know, being working for an agency or you know a consultancy business, for example, do you feel that organisations view that as a bit of a sales tactic, maybe to get you to to kind of do stuff or? Yeah, so so uh, in in some cases, but 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 luckily, so so because we don't develop websites, right? Or we don't develop the things. So so normally, the the recommendation would be something that we wouldn't be the one executing. Okay. So, so in that sense, we 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 can take the mantle of trusted advisor because, yeah, we we can advise them in in developing it. We can help them on that route, but we won't be the people. So we're not creating work for ourselves in that sense. Well, we would be in some, maybe some campaign activities, right? But on the bigger picture, we can actually 
stand back and then if the numbers fail, then we have to take it on our mantle. But 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 otherwise it's it it it's a pretty good open conversation. Mm. With that said, I, I'm I'm not sure we have enough of these conversations because getting the attention of the people who would actually not be concerned uh, with with this. So, so there's this uh, if we talk to the wrong people in the organization, they would be scared and going upwards and, and saying this is actually costing us this much not to doing this because we get this. Uh, why the hell didn't you tell us earlier? So some people kind of get this risk averse and 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 are not willing to go into dangerous conversations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. From a people perspective, you know, obviously it goes without saying that having the right people is imperative to, you know, seeing success across any industry, but but in our industry especially, right? Um, where there's mm. a lot of, you know, a lot of value add and influencing skills that aren't tangible and therefore they're, they're not that easy to identify, for example. Mm. Um, talk us through the importance as far as, driving action with data because i get the feeling that and and again not just from a conversation with you but conversations you know all over the world the the ability for those people to to get the right type of people to be have mm. to be able to have those conversations like you just touched on there about the you know having awkward conversations around actually what it's going to cost you if you don't do this yeah. um do, do you get involved with that in terms of you know the clients you're speaking to i appreciate from your perspective obviously you hire people to have those conversations on behalf of 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 yourself and the business but um you know is that something that comes up internally at all from a people Mm -hmm. standpoint yeah so so i think uh we we kind of see a duality here and it's very much in in relation to the maturity of the organizations but there is a uh it and and uh, we're probably going to affect somebody wanting to hi- headhunt me one day, but I do see there's a uh, there is a challenge in, in people not knowing what they're hiring for. So so they get somebody because you you have these big organization with an HR department internally that that is supposed to be qualified to hire any type of role in the organization, and you get some of these uh, embarrassing cases that you see on LinkedIn where they they that you have like. Uh, I, I saw one yesterday where somebody saying, uh, yeah, uh, he just saw a job application where somebody expected uh, somebody to have six years of experience in, in this specific uh, language or tool. And he was like, yeah, but, well, he was sad he couldn't apply for it, but it was only two years since he invented it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's so embarrassing in the sense because you you get this the 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 positions that that are being hired for are so complex, and expecting an internal HR department to know everything about the skill set, they're depending on the on on asking other people in the organization, and they might not know specifically, right? So so I really feel this is a place where. To do it right, in 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 some cases at least, you need to look outside for for help in saying what what are we hiring for right now, and and not just in, in because that this the old case. Then you get the other job ads that are like, oh, here's somebody hiring somebody who has skills in Omniture analytics. Like, yeah, okay, they pulled it out of the drawer because that was what they were looking for in 2008. But <laughs> yeah, right. So so like. So, so completely outdated job job adverts. So, 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 so understanding what is the marketplace for right now and what should you be looking for? This is a, a really uh, 
complex thing because the marketplace is moving so fast. So even if you are a recruiter sitting internally in an organization, unless you're hiring a lot of people in this specific field, then it's going to be a challenge. And, and especially in our field, I think it's, it's really complicated because if it's not a core function in the organization, then it, HR is going to be in, in big, big challenges in, in, in actually uh, putting this right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, naturally, given my line of work, Steen, I, I see this all the time, right? And I spend, mm-hmm. to be honest, I probably spend 80, 90% of my time talking organizations out of hiring what they think they need to hire. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's this huge focus all the time on, you know, they need to have, um, you know, there's an obsession around technology or tooling, you know, they need to, they need to have Tableau and it's like, well, would, would Power BI do? No, no, no. It needs to be Tableau. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. well, does it, you know, so it's, it's Python or it's R, it's AWS or it's GCP or whatever the case may be. There's this, there's this huge obsession with it needs to be these certain types of tools and technologies. And I think that just plays back to what you said, right? You, we, we can't expect HR people who are also recruiting for every other role in the organization to understand the nuances of our industry. But ultimately mm. what it comes down to, I think is what we kind of touched on earlier around the ability to have those types of conversations, you know, so communication skills, presentation skills, being able to tell stories, being able to influence, being able to engage stakeholders. Those are the really core skill sets because the tech and the tools will change over time, right? Tech, yeah. tech, what's popular now, five years won't be here, 10 years will be a distant memory, so on and so forth. So I think there's, but the, the issue with that is you can't find that on a CV, right? You know, know. No one writes on their CV, great storyteller. So there's no way to, yeah. to kind of match that as a key word, right? So it becomes really difficult to, to actually articulate and understand unless you're in this space and you know what you're looking for and the types of companies and what they're up to and actually what they're doing and, you know, the impacts that these people have on the work that they're doing and the actual value that they're adding mm. it becomes really difficult to, to see and find. Um, and yeah, I, I always yeah. find it interesting. Yeah, and I think so. So was that where, part of my story when I talk about this is very often I say people in a dilemma because what, they, what they're looking for is a data-driven business developer. And what they get is a number accountant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't necessarily understand that what they normally hire and what they look for as the standard skill set, it's like that's that's not what they want. They they want the person who can take the numbers and drive business and do magic with the numbers and make uh, yeah, business happen or activating the data. But very often you get somebody who's a dashboard artist. Mm-hmm. or <laughs> a reporting specialist, right? Yeah. And then you you hire the person because they've been at a large corporation before, so it looks good and like, no, no, Tesco couldn't be wrong. <laughs> but th- then you expect the person to be able to fill all your roles in your organization because they have a specialist role in a bigger organization and that, that doesn't work. No. So, so being aware, again, it's again with the KPI, what is what is the return on the analyst? What return are you looking for in this hire? And it makes life so much easier for everybody if you know that, because that is the job description. If if I could have if I had ten pounds for everybody I know that has been hired for a role that turned out to be nothing like the role they were hired for, yeah. 
<laughs> I would be doing this session from Bahamas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 as you'd expect, I, I see this all the time, you know, and yeah. uh, there's, there's been plenty of instances where I've, you know, kind of turned work away or they've decided because I've kind of, you know, tried to advise them that you're not, you shouldn't be looking for this is what you should be looking for. And they decide mm. to go down that route anyway. And they hire someone and then, Six months later, they come back to me and say, you know, that person we hired, he was great at building dashboards or yeah. you know, excellent technically at be it building machine learning models, but um, we just, the, the business weren't using it. I don't know why. Yeah. It's like, well, because I, I told you why six, <laughs> six <laughs> yeah, months yeah, yeah. ago that was going to happen, but, you know, yeah. it's really interesting. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Steve, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this. I mean, it's very timely given, you know, this this kind of topic around actually turning data into action to drive value kind of seems to have resurfaced again. It kind of seems every mm. couple of months it bubbles up and you get a lot of people talking about it. So very timely, but um, hugely insightful conversation. I really thank you for, for, for coming on. I guess if people are interested in learning a little bit more about you or you know the, the talks and the lectures that you get involved in or how maybe you guys can help their business, how is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, so so I'm like a LinkedIn slut. So yeah. so you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. So so yeah. I'm uh, so as long as you have an agenda and you're not trying to sell me outsourcing, uh, I'm I'm pretty open for a conversation. So so and we do have the DNA of sharing. So so uh, I'm very easy to open a conversation. And and if I can't uh, do it myself, I probably know somebody who's qualified and 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 can help. So so LinkedIn is the 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 perfect media for me. Nice, nice. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on, Steve. It's been a pleasure and we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks for having me. It it has been a pleasure. Cheers, bye-bye. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.